Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Oscar, we're talking Kentucky and Louisville today. First of all, let me thank you for this wonderful brunch that you've provided. As always, as always. This rivalry, it seems like it gets intense every year, every December. Nobody needs to be this intense around the holidays, do they? Well, you know, it's a way of life. It's not as bad out in the state as it is in Louisville, but for the folks who live in Louisville, Boy, they're inundated. And, it, it, you know, it carries over from football. I mean, you got football, basketball, then it comes right back to March Madness, then back into football. So it's intense in Jefferson County. When I first walked in, you looked at me and said, oh, this is a biggie coming up for Rick. What do you mean by that? Oh, do I have to say, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I think I think the rivalry, if you go back and get to the origin of it, the roots of it, it started back in 1913, a year that Richard Nixon was born. That's 103 years ago. And how old are you? And, uh, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> but when you go back to it, they played off and on up until 1922. And then after 1922, they didn't play again until up into 1948. And it really wasn't even played in Kentucky then. It's played in New York City as part of the Olympic trials. But you go back to the original game, uh, Kentucky won the first game. It's known as State University then, not University of Kentucky. 134-10. Louisville bought five players from Louisville to play in that game. Four of the five never scored. Only one player for Louisville scored in the entire game. Had a field goal and eight free throws. Kentucky had one player, R.C. Preston, who scored 13 by himself. So they played that first game. Uh, they played uh, 13 altogether up through the 1920s. Kentucky had a 9-4 and four record, and then they dropped it. And, of course, that was long before Adolph Rupp in the 20. He came in 1930. So Rupp only – competed against Louisville three times in his entire career. Go back to that 1913 game, just to give people an idea of how old it was, it was played in an armory. Buell Armory. The Buell Armory. Which I've heard many people over the years speak of that, but quite frankly, that's even before Alumni Gym, so it just doesn't register on me. And then listen to the names. Augustus Weisenberger, Carl Zierfoss for Kentucky. Uh, let's see, there's another one for Louisville. C.N. Caldwell, you don't hear names like that anymore. Well, now, Caldwell's a pretty – that's a pretty good Kentucky name there But now. C.N. But now, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, Dunwig, Rudy, D-U-N-W-E-G. Uh, that would be my best guess. I don't think that's from Eastern Kentucky. So, some old-timey names there, which kind of gives this game a little bit of character. It has a lot of character. I, I would like to know more about it, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later on in our podcast today, but – you know, it, it sort of looked like, I wonder how many people actually went to those games back then. I wonder if that game was ever documented outside the box score Well, we do have. you know, there, there's a couple of things it looks like. 
uh, the Lexington Leader, the uh, Courier Journal, both had stories on that. We may talk about that before we leave you today. I'd like to hear something about that. Let's talk about Adolph Rupp and Louisville, and how did that uh, set up? Well, Adolph came here in 1930, lived in 72, 42 years. Uh, He never played Louisville, and they had already disbanded the series before he got here. But Rupp's line of thinking throughout his career is uh, they did not play state schools on a regular basis. At least later on in his career, the times that he would talk to me about it, it was that if we played one school, then we'd probably be obligated to play them all. But people forget today, you generally think of Kentucky and Louisville. Back then, uh, in particular in the 50s when this really heated up, you had some really good programs. You had Kentucky, you had Louisville, you had Western Kentucky, you had Moorhead, you had Murray, and you had Eastern. And all those schools were were pretty doggone good and made the NCAA tournament from time to time as a champion of the OVC, which had an automatic bid. Western was really, really good. I mean, uh, E.A. Diddle had them going to New York many times in the 50s. Peck Hickman from, I want to say, the mid-40s up to 67 had Louisville on the road, but they just didn't compete against each other, and there was not that big an issue about it until we got up into the 60s, and most of it was brought on by two games that Kentucky ended up playing Louisville in the NCAA in the 50s. Kentucky schools going to New York and playing on that big stage, 1948 Kentucky and Louisville in the Olympic trials. Yeah, that was that was a situation. At that time, I think Louisville was actually playing the NAIA. And uh, you had uh, some AAU teams that was in trials. Kentucky had just won the national championship with the Fab Five. And uh, Phillips Oilers were really, really good in AAU basketball in that line. So they brought eight teams to New York to play in the Olympic trials. At the end of the day, Kentucky played the Oilers in the final game. And then after it was chosen that those two teams would pretty much share the roster. There were four or five kids that weren't from either team that was on the roster, but the entire Fab Five plus three subs from Kentucky made the roster along with Coach Rupp. There was no money to go play in the Olympics in 48. They had no funding. So they had to go out and host a series of exhibition games to raise the money. That three of them. I know one was in Kansas City. The third one was at Stowe Field. Now, I was alive then, just a little taut. But can you imagine today, if you went out and talked to the average person, you remember the time Kentucky put a floor on the football field and played? Reference our podcast with Humza Yesen. Yes. And so uh, it was determined before that they had split two exhibition games, the Oilers and the Wildcats, and it was decided before the third game that whoever won it, that team's coach would be the head coach. And the losing team's coach would be the assistant coach Olympics. And, of course, the Oilers won that game on Stowe Field. Uh, they went to the Olympics, won the Olympics. And in the process of getting to that game, Kentucky played uh, Louisville in Madison Square Garden, the old, old Madison Square Card, beat them advancing to play Baylor, and then they played the Phillips Oilers. So that was the first time in many Kentuckians' lifetime that Kentucky had played Louisville. 
Well, since the 20s. And Kentucky had beat Louisville 91-57 to in the Olympic trials. Yes, it really wasn't that close. So at that point in time, by then, in the early 50s, people started talking about, oh, would it be nice if Kentucky played Louisville? Well, Western was just as good, if not better. And the thing is, Rupp would say, well, if we play them, we've got to play Western. And we don't have that much room on the The fact of the matter is probably more than anything else is no one heard of Louisville outside Jefferson County. And Western probably had a, a larger rural following down where they were at, close to Tennessee, obviously, than Louisville did. So probably a lot it had to do is that Adolph was saying, this is my turf. And I don't want to share it with anybody. And I can remember growing up in eastern Kentucky uh, in the 50s. You never heard of Louisville, even though my high school coach, Roscoe Shackelford, late Roscoe Shackelford, actually played for Louisville in the 50s. But no one knew that because you couldn't get the radio broadcast in Hazard. They didn't write about it. So that was an integral part, I think, of this series coming about. It, it suddenly gave Louisville exposure out in the state that they didn't have heretofore. So what you're telling me is Coach Rupp had that big brother mentality way before it was well known. Long before Eddie Sutton come along. (laughs) Makes me like Coach Rupp even more. For the younger fans who think that Kentucky and Louisville and the rivalry in the NCAA tournament of the last few years is just a new thing. No, it goes back to the Olympic trials. It goes back to 1951 when they met in the NCAA East Regional first round. It goes back to 1959 when they met in the um, Mid-East Regional semifinals as well. And uh, Kentucky got the win over Louisville in uh, 1951, 79 to 68, but then they lost in the tournament to Louisville in 1959 and that was the big game right there 1959 they'd won the title in 58 but they lost to Louisville, and that was unthinkable for some people that just drank the kool-aid the blue kool-aid by the gallons and it just couldn't happen and then you got into the 60s and that's when the media started getting involved and kentucky should play louisville uh peck hickman was a terrific coach for louisville from i want to say 40 44, 45, up through 67. So he was the coach that Rupp coached against in those three tournament games. Louisville was very good. They had some really talented players at that time. But in the 59 game, when Louisville beat Kentucky, I think that was the signature game that suddenly was the beginning of the end of the series not happening. And how long was the layoff between that 1959 game of Kentucky and Louisville playing each other? Well, you went through the 60s, and of course, you got to remember, 58 was Coach Rupp's last championship. And as the years went by and they weren't winning the title, the more and more you heard about playing Louisville, playing Louisville. And by the time you get to 72, Coach Rupp's last year, a young guy from California by the name of Denny Crum comes on the scene at Louisville, replaces John Dromo, who had replaced Peck Hickman earlier. And uh, he hits the ground running. I mean, he's getting to the Final Four from the get-go. By 1975, Joe Hall's third year at Kentucky, guess who ends up in California in the Final Four? Kentucky and Louisville. You knew at that point that it was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. Unfortunately, in that game, those two teams should have been playing for the championship. There was a kid from Louisville that missed a free throw near the end of a regulation that could have won the game 
Instead, Louisville lost. UCLA ended up winning the title a couple nights later in John Wooden's last game ever. A lot, lot went into that game. Kentucky had beaten Syracuse in the first uh, Final Four game. Uh, actually, I think it might have been the second Final Four. I think Louisville and UCLA played the first game in that Final Four. In between the days of the championship and the semifinals, you have media press conferences Uh where both coaches talk. And in that press conference that day, John Wooden announced that the game the next night would be his last game. A lot of people from Kentucky thinks that had a, a, a natural effect on the officials calling the game. Uh, in that game, late in the game, they called a technical on a UCLA player and Wooden ran out on the floor and they escorted him off but didn't call a technical. Some people thought there should have been mm-hmm. – uh, but you could just see it riveting up. And had Louisville beaten UCLA the day before, we probably would have seen the UK UFL series even earlier than we did eight years later. Mm-hmm. But in that particular game, you knew with Denny Crum being as young as he was, this was his, I guess, third or fourth year at Louisville. And this was Joe Hall came in one year later. So at that point in time, it started really – getting steam by 80 louisville had a national championship kentucky was in the elite eight in 80 and then it all came to a head that fateful day in knoxville tennessee in march of 1983 they call it the dream game before we get into that i want to ask you you were talking about how in the 60s the media was beating the drum for kentucky and louisville to play each other what about the fans well you you had probably three groups of fans i think that the fans out in the state was sort of still backing joe hall and adolph rupp and joe hall said at the time i i'm honoring cope Rupp's philosophy on scheduling uh I, th- I think he definitely wanted to do that, and he thought it helped a little bit if he still could toss in Coach Rupp's name that he didn't want it either. He played that role. I think, obviously, the Louisville fans wanted to play it because you're always wanting to play the big kid on the block because you got nothing to lose. If you lose, you're supposed to. If you, do- if you win, now you've really accomplished something. I think the Kentucky fans living in Louisville at the time, and you got to remember, at that time, you know, Louisville, Louisville took seconds, bananas, back seat to the radio in Louisville, to all the kind of publicity that you would get. And, of course, they naturally did not like that. But I think a lot of the Kentucky fans in Louisville sort of said, you know, I'm sick and tired of taking all this crap about us being scared. Let's just go ahead and play them. Prior to the Dream Game in 1983, uh, Louisville gained some respect by winning the 1980 National Championship with somebody by the name of Daryl Griffith. Now, the question I have for you, would you have liked to see Daryl Griffith play against Kentucky? If I wanted to see him win, I probably wouldn't. He was that good. Well, we'll talk about Dr. Duncanstein just a little bit. Well, I, I, I think you got to go. Uh, there were a number of players that they were getting then. They were, they were recruiting African-American players before Kentucky. Part of that reason is the schedule the two teams played. Kentucky's schedule was deep, deep, deeply rooted in a deep south where integration was slow to take hold, particularly in sports. Louisville wasn't playing as many teams in the south. They played some, but not many. They were in the old Metro Conference. Uh, They were in the old Missouri Valley when it was basically the Midwest. And it was a great Missouri Valley Conference at one time with the people like Drake, you know, uh, Creighton, and all those schools. You had 
Wesley Unsell. You had Daryl Griffith. You had all those great players then that Kentucky recruited a lot of them. The difficult thing for Kentucky in getting in those kids' homes and get them come, I remember one in particular who said, the mother said, can you guarantee Coach Hall that this my son will never be harmed going into the South? And the same thing happened to Coach Rupp. And they had to be honest to the point saying, we're going to do everything we can. You know, don't think anything's going to happen to them. But, you know, if we go to Starkville, Mississippi, you know, uh, we're not going to let anything happen to him. But to say that it can't happen, you couldn't say that back mm-hmm. then. I can remember in 1976 traveling with the Kentucky team as media in Starkville, Mississippi. The day of the game, the morning of the game, uh, I walk out in town with Dwayne Casey. And we go into a little restaurant to have some and they wouldn't serve him. And we got up and walked out, you know. And I couldn't believe in 1976 that it was still happening in an SEC city. But it did. So it, it took a while when Coach Hall got here. The first African-American recruited, of course, was Tom Payne from Louisville. And that was huge. Of course, we all know what happened to Tom Payne later on in life. And I think that hurt Kentucky for a while was overcoming that image that he had when he went on to the Atlanta Hawks. The one thing I found interesting about Daryl Griffith, beside the fact that I love his nickname, Dr. Duncanstein, was he earned that. him coming out of Louisville Mail, he had an offer to play for the Kentucky Colonels coming out. And I thought that that's kind of cool because I love the Colonels history. Maybe one day mm-hmm. we'll talk about that. Uh, an important figure with the Kentucky Colonels and even in the Kentucky Louisville series is John Y. Brown. Yeah, uh, John Y., Kentucky grad, born and raised. Uh, I don't know if he was born, but he actually went to school here in, in Fayette County, Lafayette, Lafayette grad. Huh? And his dad was a famous lawyer, John Y. Brown Sr. And uh, John Y., uh, made his fortune in getting hooked up with Colonel Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Started the Kentucky Colonels, which are very, very popular. Uh, a great deal of the popularity of that program was due to the fact that he was stocking it with a lot of kids that wore the blue and white. Dan Essel, Mike Pratt, Louis Dampier, on and on and on. When he got involved, he wanted to play a few of the games at Memorial Coliseum in Lexington. And Joe Hall didn't exactly like that because he could see the pros taking some of the money away from the Kentucky program, which years later seems to be the same thing that's going on in Louisville with Tom Jurich and Rick Pitino and not wanting the NBA at the Yum Center. But anyway, John Wye, after he sold the Colonels and made off, he later ran for governor. And he was very, very integral in us getting to the next chapter, and that is to the chapter of Kentucky and Lowell playing each other on a regular season basis. Let's go back to the dream game since we kind of went off on a different route and we're talking about the Kentucky-Louisville rivalry, the NCAA Mideast Regional Finals in Knoxville. This is the game everybody wanted to see. Yeah, actually, I think it was uh, either a year or two years earlier uh, they could have met in, I believe it was Nashville, And I think maybe Kentucky lost to Middle Tennessee, and they would have met in the next game. But they didn't. But they did collide in Knoxville. I think, if memory serves me correctly, did uh, Lowell not beat Arkansas in the the Sweet 16 there? It had all the billing of a great game, tournament game, and now in overtime. You know, it's the only time, and I've been going to games in Knoxville since 1960 when I was just a student at Cumberland College. It's the only time I've ever been at a Tennessee arena that Tennessee fans are actually rooting for Kentucky. (laughs) 
They actually <laughs> pull for Kentucky against Loa. I didn't think I'd ever see that. But that day, I mean, it was something else. The strange thing is, is tickets for that game going before the game. Now, we're talking about 30-plus years ago, three decades. We're going for like $250. But I remember going outside of Stokely about 20 minutes before tip-off and went outside and there were about six guys out there trying to sell tickets for five dollars a piece the the market was so hot that people that didn't have tickets just made no attempt to drive down there they knew they couldn't afford it there were some guys who actually ate 250 dollars tickets right at tip off inside it was a buzz that, that was a hot place when it was crowded Mm-hmm. And it was packed to the rafters. It may, it, I'm sure it set a wreck for Stokely as far as the media there because it was a regional tournament. But every big shot in the media were there. Kentucky ended up losing 80 to 68 in overtime, but the overtime really didn't get off to the best start for Kentucky. Well, first of all, Louisville was a favorite going into it, and, and they were pretty solid favorite. I want to say like a six or eight point favorite, and and highly ranked, much higher ranked than Kentucky. Uh, Derek Horde, I think maybe had his finest game of his career the first time and then got in foul trouble and fouled out. But you got late in the game and Kentucky caught him. And with less than a minute to go, I think it was like under 30 seconds, Kentucky's got the ball, tie score, timeout. And instructions in the huddle were bring the ball in, put the ball in the hands of Dirk Minifield. He's to take control. Do nothing until the 10-second mark, then drive for the bucket. He was supposed to penetrate. If they fell off of Jim Master, they were going to kick it out of him to shoot it. Or on the other side, to Melvin Turpin. If they did, if they had them covered, he was to go to the hole. Well, he comes out with more than 20 seconds to go. He sees an opening, and he drives the baseline. And it looked like when he went up, he wasn't for sure where he was going to dunk it or where he was just going to kiss it off the glass. And I think a lower player got a piece of the ball, they grabbed it, went down, scored, still a little time left on the clock, and Jim Meister hit a baseline jumper at the horn to send it into overtime. Once you got into overtime, things fell apart real quickly. Louisville scored their first 14 points, the first 14 points in overtime, and Kentucky was plagued by turnovers, and that's what did it in for the Cats during that game. Did you feel like, because when I feel like Kentucky loses to Louisville, especially in the tournament, if we ever see that, I feel like it's the end of the world. Was the Kentucky fan base, what was their mentality after well, it, it, they lost to Louisville? Yeah, the, 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 the tough part was letting them get behind so far in the overtime. Just to make it to overtime sort of vindicated the Kentucky fans, hey, you thought you all were great, but it took you overtime to beat us and you were favored. So it's a little bit bittersweet in that respect. But at the same time, you knew the powers that be, that it was just a matter of a few weeks and the UK Athletics Board decided they would go into an annual contract with the University of Louisville. Talk about John Y. Brown and how he was able to get this thing going as a regular series between Kentucky and Louisville. At that time, the governor was a governor. The governor doesn't have the power in Kentucky that governors had back then. They control a lot of things they don't control. Now, legislature a few years ago passed some laws that give them a little more authority are almost equal authority of the governor. But in his time, they controlled it. Uh, there are some people who says that uh, there was still some bitterness between John Y. and U.K., a la Joby Hall, because they didn't want to let them use the arena. Now, uh, one of the greatest games I've ever seen in Memorial Coliseum was Dr. J against the Colonels in the 75 playoffs. 
which was two years before UK moved to Rupp Arena. The big deal at that time of getting the Colonels play, they knew that Rupp Arena was going to be done in a couple of years, so that's what they were eyeing for. There are some people who think that John Y. held that, and that was the bargaining chip when it got down to, do you going to make Kentucky play or not? Governors normally didn't make Kentucky do anything. It's whatever you want to do. Same way with the other schools. But he, he exercised some strength and decided with these through Dr. Singletary and the board, they decided to schedule the game. The When they scheduled the game back then, Denny Crum was well known for not being very good at the beginning of the year. And he'd always just build his team, coach them, coach them up near tournament time. During that era, there was no such thing as seeding as it is today. You weren't a one seed or a two seed. You, you went to certain places within the region if you were the conference champion, and then you drew from a hat. So it didn't pay you to try to have a high seed by having a high mark. On the other hand, Joe Hall always had his teams ready at the get-go because year in and year out on Kentucky's non-conference schedule, there was Kansas every year. There was Indiana every year. There was Notre Dame every year. Occasionally, there was an Ohio State. And now you've added Louisville to it. So his big games were so early, he had his team so ready to play in early November. Now, what happened, though, is when he did that, how many times did we hear, and you may be a little bit too young, about the infamous January slump? Because after playing all these big names in November and December, you get ready to go play Ole Miss at Oxford, Auburn and Auburn. And sometimes they'd lose a couple, three games in January. And everybody said, man, they were a lot better this in November. Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is, is Denny was just the opposite. He played most of his stuff later on and had them at a peak at the end of the year. So the big deal is, okay, now that we've got this game, when are we going to play it? We going to play it in late December when Crum would like to play it, or are we going to play it in late November when Joe Hall wants to play it? And there was a lot of back and forth on it. Kentucky won that one. They got to play it early, early on the first year. I think it was right around Thanksgiving, a little bit earlier. It was uh, November 26, 1983. Yeah. Now, as time went along, very shortly thereafter, it finally went back to the end of December after Christmas. I think this year's the first year in a long time it's been played before Christmas. You told me a few weeks ago that you were not a fan of Kentucky and Louisville playing football. Were you a big fan of Kentucky and Louisville playing basketball no. and renewing the series? Why? No. Pretty much the same reasons they'd offer up, to be honest. Kentucky had everything going for them, and they had nothing to gain by playing the game. But having said that, if we look at both rivalries between Kentucky and Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville basketball, Kentucky, Louisville football, if we'd sat down and had this discussion in 1980 before they played, and we said, okay, they're going to start a series in both sports. And when they do them, 30 years later, which program will have suffered the most, which would have gained the most? I would have argued that Kentucky, over a 30-year period going into it, would totally dominate Louisville in football. And it would be neck-to-neck in basketball. And guess what? It's been the opposite. Kentucky, over the years, this is, by the way, the 50th renewal, or not renewal, but the 50th game between Kentucky and Louisville coming up Wednesday night. Over the previous 49 games, Kentucky owns a 34-15 edge. 69%. I would have never dreamed 
of Kentucky over the last 34 years, having that kind of a record against UofL baseball. UofL baseball is really, really good. There's not that much difference in the two programs. But they have succeeded, Kentucky has, on the level I didn't think they could win to the extent of 70% winning percentage. That means Louisville's had a 30% winning percentage in this series. And in football, we know that Kentucky does not have a 50% since they started. It's just an interesting tidbit. Yeah, very interesting numbers there. So the uh, renewal in the uh, regular season gets started November 26, 1983. It was Louisville at Kentucky. I'll never forget that. I'll throw you a little bit of old stuff there. I'm not sure if Craig Sager was part of that or not, the late Craig Sager, but it very well could have been. I remember at the time, uh, WTBS, which was a superstation, did a one-hour special before that game. Really? And paid $500,000 for the rights to it. And I can't remember for sure who televised that game? It was televised. It may have been TBS. I don't. I can't remember. That was the biggest thing that had ever happened. And I would suspect that every media person that was there in Knoxville the March before was right back there at Rupp Arena that night. Kentucky ended up getting the win, sixty-five to forty-four, and uh, that was behind Kenny Walker's thirteen points, Melvin Turpin sixteen points, but Jim Master was the hero of that game. 19 points. Yeah, but the, but the scene that will last for infamy from that game was a cover of Sports Illustrated, which showed Sam Bowie blocking Jeff Hall's shot. And in the lead in that story, it was something like, okay, Louisville, you wanted Kentucky, now you got them. Of course, when Kentucky won that 65-44 to game, little did we know that the two clubs would be right back at Rupp Arena in March playing for a spot in the Elite Eight go to the 1984 NCAA Final Four. And Kentucky ended up getting that win at Rupp Arena, 72-67, to 67, but the NCAA kind of came in and said, no, wait a minute. Yeah, No the, more schools playing in their home Yeah, Kentucky's been base. responsible for several road changes over the years, <laughs> and this was one of the first ones like, oh, and, and I think the fact that the rivalry had just been reborn and the fact they'd already played one at Rupp, Louisville still – was Cinderella in this rivalry. They were still the victim, even up through that point. So they got a lot of, you know, and I understand it. I mean, you know, there's always a heavy in everything. That was also uh, the year before that when Brent Musburger of CBS fame at the time came in and did an interview with Joe Hall and wanting to talk about the Kentucky Louisville not playing each other. And the CBS guy that was with him, and I think the guy's name was Linda Luca assured UK that they wouldn't talk about the fact they didn't play each other. It was a preseason special. Well, the first thing he did is, Joe, why won't you play Lowell? Something to the effect of, are you scared of him? And Joe immediately threw up his hands and was motioning like, no, no, no. And then they did the special a week later, and they started out the interviews showing that. And it incensed Cliff Hagen and Joe Hall. And they got on the phone to CBS, and this was at the beginning of the 82-83 season. And they assured him that it was a mistake, somebody didn't get the word, they shouldn't have used it, never happened again. So lo and behold, the pregame show, six months later, in Knoxville, before the dream game, they show it again. <laughs> and he just, innocent. 
you know. So from that point on, mm-hmm. Kentucky was a heavy. It was years later before everybody said, okay, now, Louisville, you're on your own. You know, we're no longer going to let you play the victim's role. What do you remember about that uh, Mideast Regional semifinal game here in Lexington? Well, uh, I can't even remember who the other team that was in there uh, with them. There was Kentucky, Louisville, and Illinois. I know they played Illinois uh, in the championship. Uh, big time event. Uh, that was, I think, hmm, I'm trying to think back, maybe the second or third time they had hosted the tournament. The very first year of Rupp Arena, they hosted the Mideast Regional here. And it was very popular, sold out the tickets and everything. Uh, I think that the Kentucky official party fully understood that they weren't 21 points better than Louisville because at the beginning of the year, Louisville was still learning their system. Kentucky had already had their So there was a lot of pressure uh, on Kentucky. Like, boy, you beat them at 21 in November. If you lose to them at home now, then the Boo Birds would really be out. But they played well. Uh, Louisville played well. Made the made the 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 uh, plays they had to make at the end of the game, and like you said, won it. Then against Illinois, that was a real real close game, you know. But as you said earlier, the NCAA later made a decision that you couldn't host a regional on your home floor and play any. You had to play somewhere else. After that Louisville game uh, in Rupp, Kentucky went in seventy two to sixty seven. How did you feel about the chances of uh, Kentucky winning the Final Four that year? Well, uh, first of all, you got to go back a little bit earlier that year, and they played the team known as Houston Cougars, Fast Slamma Jamma. I saw the thirty for thirty on that a couple weeks ago. Yes. And that was the first time in the history of CBS, who had just taken over the NCAA rights a couple years earlier. It was with NBC Forever, Dick Enberg, Al McGuire, Billy Packer. And you went over to CBS, and CBS decided they really wanted to hit a home run on this particular day. So the Kentucky-Houston game was a lead-in to the Super Bowl that day. They didn't have five-air Super Bowl special back then. And I'll, I'll never forget because a friend of mine came into the airport and he said, you won't believe Bluegrass Field today. That's what he said. There must be a hundred private planes out there. And they're all from the state of Texas to see this game. There's There, there, there have been unbelievable crowds at Rupp Arena. And I have seen all but, I think, three games at Rupp Arena involving Kentucky since it was built in 76. There have been unbelievable crowds there's never been one better than that i'm not going to say there haven't been four or five others to match it but that day and there is no way you could get more people into that arena than what was in there that day in those days when cbs would come to cover a game like that you didn't have all this modern technology it's something like 200 employees in there to televise the game so i mean it was the biggest game up to that time arguably if you look back at it i'd say a for the time and conditions of it, there's not been a game bigger than that for the attention that was given. Because Clyde Drexler in that outfit was pretty doggone good. I was at that game. I was young, but you know how I was at that game? Why I remember that game? Because of the program. Yes. I have, I still had the program. Won't let it go. Still have it in a plastic I thought, case. I thought it was the awfulest looking program that Jim Host ever produced. <laughs> I mean, I was looking for pictures of Sam Bowie on there. Or pictures of Denny Crum and Joe Hall. And what did they have on it? An art rendering of a wildcat and a bird. 
<laughs> now I have to say, after all these years, it's I finally I finally fell in love with it. But it I took love a the long old time. programs. I love those old programs, especially the the Houston game. Yes, too. Well, before we go off on another tangent about programs and everything, still some great memorable games after that Mid East Regional. Um, semifinal between Kentucky and Louisville. Cedric Jenkins in the tip-in. thought that game was history. Uh, Kentucky had that game well under control pretty much the entire game and then just really started basically choking near the end. And, of course, if he doesn't tip it in, it is a choke job. 75-74, Kentucky ended up winning that game in December of 1987. That was during Eddie Sutton's tenure at Kentucky, and he uh, fired some shots at Louisville. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, you know, he was pretty good at that. I mean, that was the one thing. I think, uh, of course, Adolph didn't play him in a regular season game, but Joe did, and Joe sort of uh, he sort of held his tongue, so to speak. Uh, there were there was a there was a, a pretty good gamesmanship between him and Denny Crum for many years. The interesting thing about that is uh, Crum took some shots too. When when Joe hung it up in 1985, I, I wouldn't say that he and Crum were on speaking terms other than shaking hands in front of a camera. But years later, they got together and had a radio program for 10 years together or so and are the best of friends now, which is neat to see. Incredible story when you talk about the relationship of two head coaches that were coming from schools that had a bit of rivalry, and now they have a, they had a radio show talking about everything in Kentucky, including fishing. Yes, and, and they patterned that after two guys from Alabama, Sonny Smith and Wimp Sanderson, who were in the same predicament that Joe Nin was, except except in Alabama, basketball's not significant. If that had been between two football coaches in Alabama, that would have been significant. But this was significant here because it involved basketball. Eddie Sutton's first year, 1986, Rex Chapman came out and had a great game, 26 points. Uh, Kentucky was 11 from 17 from the three-point line. But here's a name I would like to throw out at you, Kenny Payne. Yeah, K- Kenny, come along about that time, had a really neat career. Kentucky recruited him. Joe Howell recruited him out of Mississippi. And a super nice guy. And, you know, I I think that with his job here at Kentucky as associate head coach now, you know, you're seeing a great guy who I predict in the next year or two is going to be a head coach somewhere. I hope so. I always like Kenny Payne. Yeah, a neat, neat guy. Was a neat guy back then. Uh, you know, he likes to talk about how Joe Hall recruited him and how that he was listening to a, uh, or watching on TV a game between Kentucky and Louisville when he was being recruited by somebody else, and they didn't take too kind that they were. He was watching Kentucky and Louisville at the time. I always found it amusing. Uh, you know, there a lot of deep hatred between Kentucky fans. And Louisville fans and Kentucky fans don't like this player, don't like that player. But over the years, for me, I've come to like some of them old Louisville players like Daryl Griffith, well, like Kenny Payne. Uh, until they started playing, you were sort of rooting for them, except if you ever played them. And like we said earlier on the podcast, is they didn't play each other for as long. I mean, you know, I don't know too many people's around when they were playing in the 20s, even in the 80s and 90s. Uh, when they started playing each other is when everything changed. That's the reason why Wednesday night, you're going to see probably, probably 1,500 UK fans dressed in blue in that arena. And the reason they're going to get those tickets is twofold. One is loyal fans will give up their tickets for a price. Two is Kentucky fans are more than eager to pay the price, whatever it is. Three is 
a lot of the season ticket holders at Louisville are corporate people, mm. companies. And a lot of people, when they buy tickets like that everywhere, they use their company tickets as sort of incentives or rewards. So if you're the employee of the month or if you sold the sales record, and the Kentucky fans line up, if they work for those companies, and say, hey, take that $500 gift certificate and just give me two tickets to the Kentucky game. And <laughs> I know many friends in Louisville who are U.K. fans who has this – given to them going way back to 1984, you know, is I get the Kentucky tickets. And Louisville at times I've even suggested that they were going to take pictures of certain seats and take the tickets from those people that sold them. Now, they haven't done that yet. Uh, and I don't think they will because at the end of the day, they still want that corporate donation. But that is the rivalry in Louisville. And I, I think the farther you get away from Louisville, the less intense the hatred for Louisville is. But if you live with something every day, that's different. If you're a Louisville fan, it can't be neat living in Lexington. No. Now, in Louisville, you've got – it's not half and half. A lot of people say well, there's as many Kentucky fans in Louisville as Louisville fans. No, no. It's probably probably somewhere like 65, 35. I have a good friend of mine. She's a Louisville fan. She kicks me out of her office daily just because I like to go in there and gloat a little bit. Uh, we talked about Kenny Payne. He had a great game against Kentucky. He had 16 points. Uh, but Derek Miller in uh, New Year's Eve 1988, he had 34 points. Before we turned on the mics here, you were talking about how Derek Miller uh, – well, let me rephrase that. Malik Monk reminded you of Derek Miller a little bit. Yeah, uh, throughout his uh, high school career coming into Kentucky this year, um, Lake Monk had a reputation of being a streak shooter. He could get off and hit seven or eight in a row, or he could get off and miss 10 out of 11. And that was Derek Miller throughout his career at Kentucky. I mean, boy, there were a couple – there was a game up in uh, in Alaska where he went off for a record on threes. And once he was in the zone, boy, just give it to him, not look back. That was one of the games. Patino's first year at Kentucky, 1989. You, uh, you've got a little history there, uh, what you were telling me beforehand uh, with Rick and his, um, I don't know, attitude towards the uh, Kentucky-Louisville series. Well, when Rick came here, he had no idea, as most outsiders would, uh, when he arrived here in 89-90. But I think there were probably two people that had him convinced it was a little bit more of a rivalry than what he was used to on the East Coast, even among the Nick fans and the Celtic fans, which he's been on both sides of that sure in his has. career. But when he came here, Bill Kiley, you know, and then Martin McMack and his secretary. By the time they played that first game, he realized that this just wasn't another game. And the week of the Louisville game throughout his career here, I can't say on this podcast what I would say to you private, but let's just say that he got a little tight the minute the game before Louisville ended. From that point up they played off, he was tight. I mean, he was tight, tight. And that first year, he got a pretty good whipping. But then after that, he took control. Louisville ended up beating Kentucky 86-79. to And like you just said, after that, Rick ended up winning four in a row against Louisville. Yeah, uh, and this is sort of the changing of the guard. This is sort of the beginning of Den Denny Crum starting to see the sunset. As great as he was in all those Final Fours to two titles in 80 and 86, you know, he never went to another Final Four after the 86 season. And that coincides with Eddie Sutton taking over for Joe Hall. So I think that when Rick got here, he came in, he became famous for Patino's Bombitos. 
they took the three, and he got to saying, you know, if I'm going to lose this first year with Kentucky, I'm going to lose blazing every bullet I got. I'm going to shoot it from midcourt. And, of course, we all remember that infamous game in Lawrence, Kansas. Which, that'll be another podcast down the road, I'm sure. Rick's biggest win over Louisville came in um, 1992, 88-68. Ended up beating Louisville by 20 points. And Kentucky was number three that season. We know what happened in the postseason of that 92 game, but the impact of Rick winning those four games in a row between 1990 and 93, um, where he's getting some postseason um where he's having success in the postseason. What do you think that did for the confidence of the Kentucky fans and Patino coming in here? Well, the first thing he did when he got here, one of the first magazines he saw, and probably even before he got here, it's probably probably a couple months where he died, was that infamous Sports Illustrated that had the generic Kentucky Wildcat on the front that said Kentucky's shame. He made it not only fun for Kentucky fans, but he told the Kentucky fans, hey, you know what? Be proud of the blue. Wear it. you got nothing to be ashamed of. We're going forward and we're going upward. I've said it many times. I don't think there's another coach in America that could have come in here and turned the program around at that time the way he did. Don't disagree with you on that. Can't even disagree with you on that at all. Um, I love what Patino did here. Absolutely love what he did here, especially beating Louisville four times in a row. But he lost a couple uh, during his tenure at Kentucky. You talked about Patino making the rivalry fun. I'm just going to say this. He kind of makes it fun on both sides of the bench, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Let's talk about Tubby. And um, Tubby comes in, takes over after Patino. Well, he, he uh, he lost his first two to Denny Crum. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he came back and won three in a row. 99, 2001, and uh, also January for 2001, and then um, December in 2001 as well. Then he lost a couple. He lost back-to-back in, in uh, the three th- 2003, 2004 seasons, but they were played in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he came on strong, and he ended up winning his last three against Rick. And uh, those are big because that started a whole new run there. That in, uh, since 2003, Kentucky has only lost three games to Louisville between Crum and Patino. And two of the three was when Billy Clyde Gillespie was here. I, I didn't think about it. In, in, in terms of numbers, how few Kentucky games, how few games Kentucky has lost. And then, and then you look back at this. And you look at the three losses, and even a Louisville fan will say, you know, I don't know how much we can take credit beating Billy Gillespie. But even in those three losses, the uh, there was a 14-point loss in 2008, and then there was a three-point loss in 2009, the 8-9 season, which was Billy Clyde's last. So in his last season, when everything fell apart, he lost with three. And then, of course, Cal's three-point loss to the championship team, which Louisville had to hold on dearly. I mean, had had that game been another three three minutes, they might not have won it. Cal's eight and one against Louisville, but Cal's first year at Kentucky, and it's Kentucky and Louisville. You could feel the intensity, the pressure, the and we talked about with North Carolina. You could feel it here in Lexington. Five personal fouls and not a minute gone off the clock. <laughs> that uh, place was getting ready to explode, wasn't and, it? And 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 the refs did a pretty good job because they knew going into it, you mm-hmm. know, just what was what. 
And uh, when Cal first got here, uh, you got that same sense of excitement for that game as you did when Rick got here. And then when you had those combinations going on, it was an ugly game. In fact, that's another thing. I mean, very few of these games between Kentucky and Lowell have been good games. I, we've never seen anything like the North Carolina series. In no. this, it's no. so intense. And it's almost like you're playing out of fear not to lose rather than to win. I'd like to see that change Wednesday night. DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, they get wrapped up with a few Louisville players. And you're right, the officials had to get a hold of that one pretty quick. And eventually things did settle down in that game. But Cal ended up getting the upper hand on Patino uh, that year as they ended up winning that game at Kentucky. The following year was an interesting game because uh, an unsung hero that emerged from that Kentucky team when Kentucky played Louisville, Josh Harrelson. It was his coming out party. Mm-hmm. That particular game, when that game was over, and I'll never get to open the second half, he comes out and pops one from the three-point line behind the center circle. Like, you know, they didn't lose it at halftime. They've still got it. After that game is when I said, this team's got a chance to go a long way. The ironic part about that, if the NCAA had allowed Enos Canner to play any time during that first half of that year, we would have never seen the Josh Harrison that we saw the rest of the year. And Josh Harrison would have never put on an NBA uniform in his career and, and we had know, it not been for that. Yeah, and we, we know what he did throughout that season, and we know what he did in the postseason yes. as well. And he, I think he gets overlooked. You talk about all the NBA talent that Cal's had. If you look at important players who made important contributions to the success of a team over a season, he's right up there. I liken him a lot to that team to a guy named Mark Pope to the 96 team. Yep. Those were guys where, eh, you know, they're a big old guy, but, you know, they're not that good. But game after game, key parts. This year, Saturday, Isaac Humphreys made a couple plays down the stretch. If he doesn't make them, that's a loss. Mm-hmm. And let me say this. If Kentucky lost that game, uh, there'd still be people mourning today. Uh, Harrelson, 23 points, 14 rebounds that game. Now let's move on to the championship year where things get really, really heated be- between Kentucky and Louisville. First, the regular season game, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, 24 points, 19 rebounds. Yeah, Kentucky was number four, or number three. Louisville was number four. Just an unbelievable game at Rupp, and you knew that both those teams had the ingredients to be playing for the championship. And, of course, they met again. After that game, did you think Kentucky and Louisville was on a collision course to meet in the Final Four? Well, Did it ever cross your mind that this would have happened? Well, you you, cross, you know, that that's the fear of both Kentucky and Louisville fans every year. When one is favored over the others, oh, they're going to put us in that bracket with them. That's That that did happen before they started scheduling the series. Three or four times. I think the last time was in 81 or 82. Uh, where they were matching them up even early in the tournament, not late. But that's not been the case recently. But the way it worked out, you know, the the – where they seeded the teams, it's hard for them to pull it all off. The, the the one that's most obvious we'll talk about a little bit later was, I think, his 2014. What was your mindset going into that Final Four game? You know, of all the games I've been around that are important, postseason that, I had no doubts about Kentucky 
winning that championship, going into the Final Four with Ohio State, Kansas, Louisville, and Kentucky. Uh, I was around some people, and they were really nervous. I said, listen, this team is not going to lose to either of these three teams in this left here. They got it. And, and that was the thing about – I can make an argument about greatest team ever here for four or five teams. But each is in a different era or a different way. But that that 96 team was awesome. One of my all-time favorite, you know. The uh, uh, they had they had some young people on it. I think Ron Mercer was a freshman. Antoine Walker was a sophomore. But then the 12 team had three freshmen, you know. Uh, that 12 team was so mature, so much beyond the years of their age. I mean, they I, they just weren't going to lose that. And it was somebody else coming up. People forget in a championship game, even today, there are a lot of people, oh, boy, Anthony Davis was great in the game. Terrence Jones great. Deron Lamb was great. But the difference in that game, that game was over to half because of Marcus Teague. He came out on fire that night. And I think they were up like 17 at one point in the first half. So – Kids today are not like they were in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You didn't even get to see the varsity to the latter part of your sophomore year if you were great. And you could be all conference and not see it to your junior. These guys coming out of high school now, it's like junior college kids are going into your junior year. They feel no pressure. I mean, Saturday in Vegas in the North Carolina game earlier, the Iron Fox, Malik Mock, what they have? 71 points between them? Now, you and I talked about it before we started recording, that these kids have no fear anymore. No. Not, now, if they lose a game or two they're supposed to win, then they'll be creating a little bit of doubt in their mind. But until they do. But I, I never feared Kentucky losing against Carolina on Saturday. I didn't. Uh, I thought they were in good shape. The moment that they tied it at 95, and then they hit the shot to go up a three at 98 to 95. I said, Kentucky's lost this game. My fear was Kentucky will go down. They'll try to score. Best case scenario, they score two. Now they're down one and they got a foul. Or they don't score at all. So what happens? Mock just hits a tray. Kid has ice water in his veins, doesn't he? Uh, you know, and, and, and Kentucky fans are so blessed with what they've had to experience in the last decade. I mean, look at the heroics of Aaron Harrison in that stretch of Wichita State, Louisville, Wisconsin. I mean, some schools, if you get that once in a lifetime, you feel like you've been honored. The 2012 Final Four, how would that have tarnished Cal's legacy here if they lost to Louisville? Mm, you know, I don't know. I mean, you still got to forget it. How many games he lost to them? Seven, eight? To Louisville? Oh, I thought it's one. <laughs> no. See, that's the reason why I think that's the reason I think in this next game, the pressure's all on Louisville mm-hmm. in this next game. I mean, what is it, eight of nine? Yeah. Eight of nine. Mm-hmm. And it's even worse than that if you take the last three years of Tubby Smith to go in with the two around Billy Clyde. Ritten desperately needs a win for his fandom. They've been so loyal to him in spite of some of the things that have happened off the court. Natives are getting restless, huh? Well, I think they have been for some time. I don't take any delight in the things that's gone wrong at Louisville in the last three or four or five years. I don't like to see that on anybody, even my worst enemy. Certainly not a program here in the state of Kentucky. But, you know, times change, and during most of Denny Crum's heyday at Louisville, there was nobody better. 
But, you know, we all lose a step somewhere along the line. I guess the question is, is that, you know, how many steps are left in Rick Pitino? I hope he has a, a great year other than when he faces a one certain team. Talking about Patino and talking about Denny Crum, do you think the mindset of the Kentucky fans now that Denny Crum had left Louisville, he works with Joe Hall on the radio show, do you think the Kentucky fans are more accepting of Denny Crum oh, I now think, in his older years? I think that works both ways, mm-hmm. both with Kentucky fans of Crum and Louisville fans of Hall. And you know what? It's sort of like still following the Pied Piper. If Coach Hall tells Kentucky fans, you like Denny Crum, most of them are going to like it, and vice versa. That's just life. Reference the Converse poster with those two arm wrestling. What's that, what's that saying is follow the money? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I love that I mean, poster, though. Well, I love and, the poster. Would they have done that for Nike? No. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. But now, the interesting thing on that poster, a little trivia for people, if you don't know what we're talking about, Google Denny Crumb, Joe Hall poster. Uh, can you identify the four jerseys on that poster? Yeah, it's been for, it's been a while since I've looked at it. Kenny Walker, okay, Roger Harden, Jeff Hall, and I think the other one I believe is Billy Thompson. Okay, neat poster. Yeah, very neat poster. I love I love that poster. Cal has the eight and one record against Louisville. Another important game, March two thousand fourteen, on the way on the way to uh, the Final Four. I, I guess that was the most disheartening loss of all time for Louisville fans. They were favored. Kentucky, mm-hmm. believe it or not, was unranked going into the postseason. But they were very fortunate, and they had a game under their belt. Two games, actually, but the one big one. You know, that mm-hmm. one against – and I could sort of sense by that game of Wichita, you know what, this team's going out there and play as loose as a goose. Just let it go. And, boy, it did. And, I mean, the Louisville fans, they were, uh, they were convinced they were going to have their second title, you know, back-to-back. Yeah. Uh, that was a huge loss. And who was it that made the uh, made the prediction? Was it I, I can't remember if it was Aaron or Andrew. And he said, "This is going to be a great story." Mm-hmm. And you look at who they beat along the way: Wichita State, Louisville, Michigan, Wisconsin. You talk about that run to the Final Four. It's one of my favorite Kentucky postseason stories. Well, it, one of my favorite teams because probably, of what they accomplished. It's probably it's probably the best postseason run in all of Kentucky's history. Now, you couldn't have those back when you played four games to win the title or three games or five. This was a six-game run, particularly, you know, from that second game on. And they were the underdog in every game other than the first one. Yeah. Oscar, we talked about it at the beginning. It was going to be hard to get all the Kentucky-Louisville history into one podcast, and we'll have to revisit this uh, down the road. So let me ask you a couple quick questions. Favorite game between Kentucky and Louisville? 14. 14. Great game. Both teams played great. Kentucky made the bigger shots at the end. It's it's a close one. There, there's been a ton uh, of great games over the years, but I'd, I'd have to make that number one. I'd probably have to make the final four game of 12 number two. I, I don't get I don't get so embroiled on the little brother game or the 65-44 game. Probably and this would probably probably the worst game that Kentucky ever played Louisville and still won. You know what that game was? They were down 19 points at one time in the first half. They were down 32 to 16 at the half. They got away with a walk that the referee didn't see. And Patrick Sparks made three free throws in Louisville. 
Freedom Hall. Yeah, that that was a great game. Love 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 the heroics of Patrick Sparks. We failed to uh, mention that, but I'm glad you did bring that up. Favorite Dooney Crumb memory? Hmm. Probably probably in 1980. I want to say 85 or 86. I got a nice note from him saying that he enjoyed the yearbook we put out. Thanks for sending him a copy. That was sort of classy. Yeah, I didn't expect that is. it. You know. It is. And it just makes me like Denny Crum a little bit more, yeah. like we were talking about a few minutes ago. I got to be good friends with Denny over the years uh, since he'd retired. I consider him a really good friend. He's a good person. You know, uh, competition sort of draws a line in the sand, and sometimes you want to look. You see a guy, and you say, nah, he's not really that nice. Just because you don't want to like him because he mm-hmm. wears the other colors. Mm-hmm. He's a nice guy, good person. Mm-hmm. Favorite regular season victory against Louisville? Probably back to Patrick Sparks again. Favorite Louisville player? That's a tough one. Because I was a little younger at the time, because I got to see him play in high school, three people, Daryl Griffith, Butch Beard, Wesley Unsel. There's only one Wesley Unsel, my favorite. That's another podcast. We, we need to talk about Ken- players from the state of Kentucky yes. that did not play for Kentucky, but because the, there's a good line of them. Yes. That get overshadowed Huge by line. University of Kentucky players. And, and that's something I would like to get into later on. We were rummaging through our notes, and let's go back to the very beginning. When we started this podcast, there's a neat little story you found about that first Kentucky-Louisville game in 1913. And I would love for you to share that with the Big Blue Nation so we can end this on a uh, positive note going into this game on Wednesday night. It all began. 103 years ago. I'm going to read you the story that appeared in Lexington Herald by, I'm assuming it's the late, because I don't think he's around anymore. I don't think so. Roy Thomas. This is how he described the first game between the University of Kentucky and the University of Louisville, although UK was state U at the time. Sadly must up, having sailed far out of the prescribed course, Crippled and almost wrecked, manager Von Waltire, after weighing anchor and with red and black flying at half mass, steered his crew of downhearted basketeers from the University of Louisville silently out of town Saturday night bound for the Falls City. Cornering the game in the first half and then surrounding that advantage with impregnable defense and heaping up 16 points to make the barrier more secure the state university basketball team defeated the university of louisville 34 to 10 saturday night on the armory floor quote we met the enemy and we were there in the quote said some member of the visiting delegation is reported to have stated as he sauntered to the dressing room the Vesters did not lose the game simply because they could not play basketball, but because the local team marketed a deluxe edition of the game. In the victory, a light shone forth to gladden the hearts of the home enthusiasts and dull the vision of the invaders. Preston, who performed at center, was the one man in the wildcat aggression who brought fear to the hearts of the visiting team every time he got within throwing distance of the goal with his ball. His playing was above the average. 
and in all he caused the ball to trickle through the basket seven times, making six field goals and one foul. The Vistas were entirely outclassed, and they were unable to locate the basket when the field was open. Not a single field goal was made until the near the end of the game. And with about one half a minute to play, Rogers placed a pretty one in the basket. Up to this point, the invaders had to be content with points made by throwing fouls. Rogers was a tire of strength for the Lowell squad, and all the ten points were made by him. The state team initiated the game in a swift rush, and it was quickly apparent that the visitors would be unable to ward off the fierce attack of the Wildcats. The first half ended with a score 18-4 in favor of the local legion. In the second half, the coach, Dr. Tigert, sent in three second-team men, Weisenberger, Zerfoff, and Morgan. In the second period, the locals bombarded the basket for 16 points more. Numerous fouls were called on both sides. Total Farmer Preston played in good form, and Morgan, a second-team man, secured field goals during the time he was in the game. And that was the beginning of this great Kentucky-Louisville basketball series.